1: Someone could have said, hey, listen, we know all of the connections that you have. We know all of these things. We know that you met up with these people. We have all of these women saying all of this stuff. We'll give you a less of a sentence if you tell me who these people are that are actually doing this, right? Now, that's a plea deal that happens. That happens all the time with these big things. And the second that someone hears that there's a plea deal out about it, they'll be paying billions of dollars to get this man killed.
2: Right now, there's a vacuum of knowledge of what are all the facts are. So naturally, there are people going to speculate. That's not good for the system. We need to know the truth. At the minimum, the victims need to know the truth. This justice is not just about compensation. It's not just about consequences for the perpetrator. It's also about what is the truth, what happened, why, and who's responsible.
0: Welcome to the final episode of Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. I'm your host, Danielle Robey. Over the last 11 episodes, we've explored the twisted life of the man who may be America's most prolific pedophile. We started with his murky beginnings.
3: Epstein was very heavily involved in the illegal side of the business, of the money laundering, the spying, the arms sales
0: and continued on to his network of powerful and influential friends.
3: So a lot of photographs of prominent people of Bill Clinton and of President this and of Prime Minister this and Prime Minister that and business leaders. And that's what he would show off.
0: We've heard the full scale of his horrifying sexual abuse of girls barely in their teens.
1: Every girl that meets Jeffrey starts off with giving him a massage. The more you do with him, the more you make. Basically, If you take off your clothes, you're going to make more. If you let him do things to you, you're going to make more.
0: And suddenly, the twisted tale came to an end. Inside a jail cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York. How did Epstein's out-of-control life of excess and assault finally come to an end? Who was responsible? And who else might now face justice? First, the bare facts as we know them. At 6.30 a.m. on August 10, 2019, Jeffrey Epstein was found unresponsive in his cell in the high security section of the MCC. He was rushed to the hospital and later pronounced dead. The coroner's office ruled he had committed suicide by hanging himself with a sheet from his bed. For some, suicide seemed a logical conclusion to Epstein's dark path. He had lived above the law for decades with billions in the bank And the freedom to indulge in the worst of his impulses without retribution. But now, justice had caught up with him at last. Epstein was facing the prospect of spending the rest of his days behind bars. To his former attorney, Alan Dershowitz, it was a prospect that Epstein would have found unbearable.
4: I'm not a conspiracy person. I
3: believe in Occam's razor, which is you take the simplest and most obvious explanation and the simplest most obvious explanation is that he decided he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison didn't think he was going to have a fair shot and decided to take his own life i think it would have been virtually impossible for anybody to get into the prison if he had been with a cellmate you know that might be different but alone in the prison locked door even with sleeping guards i think the most likely explanation is the most obvious one that he tried to kill himself and then ultimately succeeded
0: Prison expert Cameron Lindsay agrees with that interpretation.
5: I'm an expert witness in the field of jails and prisons and detention centers. I spent 25 years as a practitioner in corrections. I was a warden at five different correctional facilities, three jails and two prisons. The bottom line is he had plenty of time to kill himself. And the problem was he was taken off suicide watch where he was no longer under direct and constant supervision. Because he was in a special housing unit and was no longer in that health services suicide prevention cell, now that he's in a non, you know, he's in a regular special housing unit cell, he has access to t shirts, towels, sheets, the bed. Everything's there. Everything, all the tools are there for one to extinguish their life. It's not hard. It's just not hard. You tie off around your neck, you don't have to jump from 10 feet up, you can do it on your knees. I know a lot of people find that hard to believe, but I've seen it, it happens. Someone can get something fixed, a rope, a sheet, a towel around their neck, tie it off to a fixed object, lean forward until they pass out, and then over time they asphyxiate and die. It's not that complicated.
0: Experts would later reveal more chilling clues. Epstein's eyes had hemorrhages, and his neck's hyoid bone was broken two symptoms more common with strangulation than hanging. Even from the beginning, people close to the case refused to accept the official line. Florida attorney Spencer Coven represented many of Epstein's victims in the case that saw him jailed in 2008. He does not believe it was suicide.
4: I'm squarely of the opinion that I don't believe the official story. Uh, I'm not convinced yet from what I've heard and from what I've Seen and people I've spoken with, with knowledge inside that jail, that Mr. Epstein took his own life. I've come to that conclusion based upon meeting the man, seeing what kind of person he was, how big his ego was, how confident he was in himself. This was not a depressed man. This was not somebody that felt bad about anything that he had done, regardless of knowing what he had done in the past.
0: Kuvin is not alone in that belief. Here's fellow attorney Lisa Bloom.
6: I'm not ready to conclude that it was suicide. The injuries to his neck could have been from suicide. It also could have been from somebody strangling him. You know, I know from the many, many murder cases that I used to cover on court TV where I for eight years watched murder cases, you know, a medical examiner saying it's suicide, it's really an opinion. And there are probably also medical examiners who would say, well, it's not. So I think there should be at least a second or a third opinion by objective medical examiners. I think we should get to the bottom of it and there should be a full investigation. Bloom's
0: mother, attorney Gloria Allred, is also representing some of Epstein's victims in their ongoing cases against his estate. She outlines just a few of the problems with his so-called suicide.
2: So there are more questions than answers at this point. Why the three fractures in his neck Consistent with suicide, but also consistent with strangulation. Why were the guards not checking every 30 minutes? Why did he not have a cellmate at that time? Were the guards' records, where they were supposedly monitoring him, tampered with and changed? Why will the guards, some of them, claim the fifth and not? Provide interviews to the investigators. This is a major, major problem.
0: Former Metropolitan Correctional Center inmate Richard Stratton is adamant. No one in Epstein's position could have killed himself. He was murdered.
3: Jeffrey Epstein was, in my opinion, murdered. And the reason I say that is because after having spent over two years in that institution and then another additional six years in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, I've come to conclude that nothing that happens in that system, in particular with a high-profile prisoner like Jeffrey Epstein, happens without the full awareness and complicity of staff. So It's my opinion, and based on my experience, that Epstein was murdered, and that he was murdered with the complicity of staff members, guards, and higher up within the Bureau of Prisons. Epstein had to have been killed with some degree of staff complicity. In other words, something's gonna happen on that unit. You're told, get out of the way, move aside, and let us do what we gotta do. And somebody goes in there and strangles him, and that's the end of Jeffrey Epstein. The jail cells in MCC don't look like typical jail cells at all in that they are completely closed. There's no bars to speak of. There's a solid door with a very narrow rectangular window in the door and a what they call a trap, which is where the food is put in on a tray. And then there'll be one window with thick steel bars over it. There's a toilet in there and there's a combination toilet and sink so that you can wash up. There'll be like a little desk with a chair that kind of is attached to the wall, but Spartan, completely Spartan. So it's very, very difficult to kill yourself in a cell like that. It's almost impossible. I mean, I suppose you could smash your head against the wall until you were dead, but can't unless you strangle yourself. So the whole excuse that he hung himself or you know, that he had this broken bones in his neck, that comes from strangulation. Somebody went in there with their hands and strangled a guy and killed him and you know we hear from his lawyer that even the day before he died he was feeling very optimistic about his chances he felt that he was going to make bail which is probably uh, unrealistic but he wasn't in a frame of mind that anybody considered suicidal
0: Epstein had previously been found with markings on his neck, deemed an attempted suicide on July 23rd. He had been placed on suicide watch then, but after just six days, he was taken off of it again and moved to Nine South. Why was such a high-profile suicide risk taken off of suicide watch so quickly? Former prison warden Cameron Lindsay believes the blame for the decision goes right to the top.
5: Leadership development, sound correctional decision making, prudent decision making, in my opinion, would dictate that Epstein would not come off suicide watch. In my humble estimation, he should not have ever been pulled off the suicide watch until his case was adjudicated. And then he would have gone off to the facility of designation for the service of his sentence.
0: When Epstein was taken off of suicide watch, he was told a guard would check on him every 30 minutes and that he would be sharing his cell with another prisoner. But on August 9th, his cellmate was suddenly transferred out with no explanation. There was no replacement brought in. He was alone all night. Here's Spencer Kuven.
4: And coincidentally, he's supposed to have a cellmate and they pull that cellmate just one day before his supposed suicide. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't match up. And I certainly think that some type of further investigation is required because how can you ask the one agency that was tasked with protecting this man until his trial to investigate itself. There needs to be some kind of outside investigation to get down to the bottom of what happened inside that jail.
0: Outside Epstein's cell, there were two security cameras. If anyone had entered his cell that night, they would have been caught on tape. Except on that one particular night, of all nights, both cameras mysteriously malfunctioned. Spencer Kuvin explains
4: every square inch of that jail within the special housing unit should be under video surveillance. So the fact that, you know, initially they came out and said there was a video and then they said there wasn't a video and now nobody has heard anything about a video. I seriously question that right off the bat. Where's the video? Where is the surveillance? This is one of the highest security prisons within a prison, within a prison, arguably in the country, where some of the most highest value targets are kept. We're talking terrorists, we're talking bombers. High, high profile people are kept within this jail and they wanna now say that there's no video?
0: The cameras were not the only place where security failed that night. The two guards who were assigned to check on Epstein every 30 minutes instead left him unsupervised for three hours. Both claimed to have fallen asleep. Our prison experts are incredulous.
3: Well, that's a good excuse. Oh, I was asleep. I didn't hear this guy killing himself. I didn't hear uh, whoever it was who got into the cell and strangled him. I was asleep. I mean, please, you know, look, these guys don't fall asleep. They're on the job. They're not falling asleep. They were told, get lost. You know, we don't want you to see this. Well, I mean, you have to hold those staff accountable.
5: But that's the more minor issue. The the bigger issue is, why is that happening? And and yes, I believe the Bureau of Prisons is short on positions, but honestly, it comes down to leadership. No one's going to fall asleep in my unit if I'm the boss and I'm there. If I'm there in the unit, if I'm doing my rounds, if I'm diligent in the performance of my duties, staff aren't going to sleep. And that whole attitude has to come from the top down and it has to permeate all levels of the organization. I find it very unfortunate that staff were sleeping on the job. If that is proven to be true, it happens. You can't excuse it. You have to hold them accountable. But you, I think, you know, we need to understand the totality of the situation as well.
1: We actually have some late breaking news on this matter. On November 19th, it was announced that the two prison guards from that night were charged with conspiracy and filing false records. According to the indictment, the guards were supposed to do frequent checks, but for two hours, they quote, sat at their desks without moving and appeared to have been asleep. The indictment says that they signed false records claiming that they'd done their duties as usual to hide the fact that they were asleep on the job. The indictment continues to say that no officer completed any checks on Epstein between 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. The same day as that news was announced, Bureau of Prisons Director Kathleen Hawk Sawyer testified at a congressional hearing and said that the FBI is continuing to investigate the circumstances around Epstein's death, including the possibility
0: that a, quote, criminal enterprise was involved. Most shockingly of all, when Epstein's autopsy was conducted, he was found to have multiple broken neck bones, including a fractured hyoid bone. Reporter Melissa Cronin explains. First of all,
1: in the days after Epstein died, we were in close communication with a source close to the family. They told us that they were having a really hard time getting the medical examiner to give them a copy of the autopsy report. It was extremely unusual that the death certificate was issued before the family got a copy. By New York law, they're actually entitled to get a copy even before it's made public. It seemed to the Epstein family that the medical examiner was stalling. When we finally got more information, the signs definitely seemed to complicate the idea that this had been a suicide. Dr. Michael Baden, the former chief medical examiner from New York City, has actually come out and said that all signs point to murder. Epstein's hyoid bone was broken. The hyoid bone is a U-shaped bone that sits at the front of the neck kind of at the root of your tongue. Now, it can be broken as a result of hanging, but more commonly, it's broken as a result of strangulation. He had hemorrhages in his eyes. That doesn't usually happen with suicide either.
0: A suicidal man taken off suicide watch security cameras that mysteriously stopped working at the crucial moment guards coincidentally both slept through a grisly death injuries more consistent with murder than suicide it doesn't take an investigative journalist to put the pieces together melissa cronin says sure it is possible that despite all these questions all the missing evidence
1: and all those coincidences jeffrey epstein really did commit suicide but when you put it all together, you've got to say it looks extremely suspicious to say the least. Put it together with the fact that Epstein throughout his life was incredibly arrogant and he considered himself basically above the law. As someone who has investigated him for years, it's impossible for me to believe that he would choose to end his life in those circumstances. It's obvious to me that he was murdered. That's what happened. The more we dig the why, the who, and the
0: how of it are becoming even more clear. Cronin, along with Dylan Howard and James Robertson, both executive producers of this podcast, continued investigating Epstein in the days and weeks after his death. The results of that in-depth reporting will be published in an explosive new book. Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, will be released at bookstores nationwide on December 3rd. According to Cronin, the real story of Epstein's death is more breathtaking than anyone knows.
1: When Epstein first died, there were all sorts of wild rumors that he'd been killed by the Clintons, for example. Anyone even considering the fact that he could have been murdered seemed crazy by association. Honestly, I was even skeptical. But as we uncovered more information and spoke to more people, we were all convinced. Epstein was not just a pedophile. He was an international spy operating a sophisticated blackmail scheme, and he was definitely a Mossad agent. The book lays it all out there. We were actually able to find and speak to a man who says he was Epstein's Mossad handler.
0: This man said he also was a handler for Ghislaine Maxwell and her dad, Robert. That man was former Mossad agent, Ari Ben-Minash.
3: There were agents of the Israeli intelligence service. And uh, what he was basically doing is blackmailing people. Mr. Epstein was just a simple idiot that was going around providing girls to all kinds of politicians in the United States. around is not a crime. It could be embarrassing, but it's not a crime. But a 14-year-old girl was a crime. And he was taking photos of politicians 14-year-old girls, if you want to get it straight.
0: Epstein left behind traces of this scheme. The
1: CDs, DVDs, photos, videos, surveillance systems that the FBI found, it's obvious that this was a massive honey trap situation.
0: Martin Dillon, an espionage expert and author of the assassination of Robert Maxwell, Israel's super spy, believes that with Epstein's arrest and imprisonment, his usefulness was effectively over.
5: I think he knew this time, Brian, that his time is up. He was finished.
1: His spymasters and his targets knew he had all that material. They knew he'd have incentive to turn and snitch. If all that he knew became public knowledge, it would take down
0: a lot of important people. Attorney General William Barr has vowed that an ongoing investigation will reveal the truth about how Epstein died.
1: Given the many conflicts of interest involved here, I highly doubt anything worthwhile will come out of that. I mean, Barr's boss, Trump, used to pal around with Epstein. His dad taught at Dalton when Epstein was hired there. Given what we know of Barr so far, it's hard to believe he'll be able to conduct a relentless investigation of the truth. The truth of what happened deserves to be told. Epstein's co-conspirators must be held accountable, regardless of what the law finds.
0: Those who were close to Epstein are beginning to find closure. His former friend, Jesse Cornbluth and his longtime chauffeur weigh in.
7: I think the one thing we can say with certainty is that Jeffrey Epstein is dead. And that is not something that everybody says. There's this whole theory that he was spirited out and then somebody else was killed and put in the thing. It's like crazy town. And These are intelligent people who are having this conversation.
3: They say it was suicide. And, you know, whether it was or it wasn't, you know what, karma's a bitch, and you know what, you get what you got coming. So my feeling is, is that he got just what he deserved. It's just a shame that it had it happen so soon before these people could get their justice. But bottom line is he's gone, and it's just another piece of garbage out of this world.
0: But as the world continues to search for the truth about his death, one heartbreaking fact remains. His victims have been denied justice yet again. Here's Jesse Cornbluth.
7: Well, as I say, the sadness of his death is that, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking, you know, as now a novelist and playwright and screenwriter, is there's no third act. The act of justice, the act of recognition, the act of atonement, all these things have been eliminated by the death and that's the thing that saddens me because we could have perhaps learned something about his pathology and about the pathology of toxic men as well had he lived and had to face his accusers whatever happens to any other perpetrators the victims here are all female and they will not be made whole or rewarded they were given a couple of hundred bucks and sent on their way and I'm imagining that some or many were traumatized and have had painful lives.
0: For some of these women, however, this is not the end. Jeffrey Epstein may be dead, but justice can still be done by finding, exposing, and prosecuting those who aided and enabled him. Epstein victim attorney Lisa Bloom has vowed to
6: fight for her clients. So I personally believe that every dime from Jeffrey Epstein's estate should go to compensate his victims, his many, many victims who are hurting, who will suffer lifelong injuries because of what he did to them. We may not be able to achieve that, but I know that on behalf of my clients, we are not going to rest until we get full and fair compensation for them, for what he did to them, for their emotional injuries, their post-traumatic stress, how it affects their relationships.
0: Attorney Gloria Allred also believes that the investigation into Epstein's activities will not end with his death. Along with other victims' attorneys, she is determined to expose anyone for whom Epstein's death might have been convenient, to say
2: the least. I do feel that there's an extremely serious investigation ongoing by the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York of those who potentially did conspire, knowingly conspire with Mr. Epstein to recruit young girls for Mr. Epstein. I spoke with the United States Attorney, and he assured me that they are continuing their investigation of any potential co-conspirator. Right now, we don't know who or how many that would be. I do feel that we can have confidence that this investigation is continuing. I can say that to a certainty.
6: To the men in power who were associated with him, shame on you. Shame on you and this tremendous disrespect for women. We've known who he is for so many years. It's very possible that we will include other men. We are doing a massive investigation into all of our clients' claims. And if we feel that there are credible claims that we can prove, uh, we will certainly add others and hold them accountable too. All of the enablers should be afraid. If you helped Jeffrey Epstein abuse girls and women you should be very concerned.
2: So to the men in power, I hope they're afraid. So now we're equalizing the power and that's because of the courage of victims. That's that's what's made the change. And they are saying, we're not gonna take it anymore. We want justice, we demand justice and we're going to win justice and we're gonna take action to do it.
6: To Bill Clinton and to Chelsea Clinton for inviting Jelaine Maxwell in 2010 to the wedding. It's time to reevaluate your priorities. It's time to say, that was wrong. We should not have done that. We're ashamed that we did that. And you know we should have severed ties, not only with Jeffrey Epstein, but with Shalane Maxwell and everybody associated with him. And then to President Trump, I'd like to see a full-throated condemnation of his buddy, Jeffrey Epstein, and everybody associated with him. We have that video of President Trump at the party having a great time. And he should say, you know, what we know now about Jeffrey Epstein, I should never have been associated with him. And here's what I knew. Here's what I didn't know. I think it's time for Prince Andrew to come clean about everything he knows. Prince Andrew, what do you have to hide? Why don't you want to answer questions? Why don't you want to get this behind you? I think the more that somebody like him ducks coming in and answering questions for a deposition, the more suspicion will remain. But besides the powerful men
0: and shadowy forces who may have been so eager to silence Jeffrey Epstein, one other figure remains at large. Spencer Coven explains.
4: I can tell you without a doubt that on behalf of the victims, I hope that Ghislaine Maxwell is ultimately arrested and prosecuted for her crimes. Ghislaine Maxwell essentially was a groomer of young women for Mr. Epstein.
0: For Melissa Cronin, it's a pressing question that must be answered. Where is Ghislaine
1: Maxwell? That's the question that matters most now. She was Epstein's lover, his enabler, and at the very least, she knew what he was doing. Even though she's denied it, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that she was just as guilty as he was. That in and out photo was a weird blip, but since then, she's been pretty much underground. Still, there have been some sightings. A source close to the family told me that she's currently in Europe, they believe that england is protecting her because of the potential prince andrew fallout they said that the recent ping of her cell phone in brazil was a classic massad redirection technique in the meantime everyone keeps asking us will we ever find gillaine and even if we do will she and all of the evil men from epstein's circle be exposed and forced to account for their part in his crimes for his victims and probably for any woman in this day and age it's hard to be hopeful It's hard to trust the Justice Department and certainly one under Bill Barr and Donald Trump to make sure that justice is served. What do you do with that feeling of hopelessness? For some of us, all we can do is keep digging to keep talking about it, to keep trying to make people listen. The story of Epstein is chilling, but the real story here is a much bigger story of global power, governments and how we treat women in this world. And that story is the one that's
0: truly terrifying. You have been listening to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. I've been your host, Danielle Robey. This is the last episode of this podcast series, but not the end of the story. For the latest revelations from the case, pick up Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales by Dylan Howard, Melissa Cronin, and James Robertson. Available wherever books are sold. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Epstein, Devil in the Darkness is hosted by me, Danielle Robay executive produced by Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett the series is written by Dominic Utton reporting by Aaron Tinney, Doug Montero Jen Hager and Marjorie Hernandez the series is mixed and engineered by Sean Cravett and Sam Ada There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, wherever you get podcasts.